Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Green Party leader Annamie Paul considers her next steps after being threatened with a non-confidence vote. I will say that I am going to be speaking to the people uh, who are most directly involved. And as I've said, this is exactly why you don't prosecute these things in, in public. It is respectful to speak with the people more directly involved. MPs pass a Bloc Québécois motion acknowledging Quebec's right to change the Constitution. Quebec is a nation, a French nation, a nation with one official language, French, and one common language, French. And that is acknowledged by the federal parliament. And Harjit Sajjan faces more calls for his resignation. We'll take no lessons uh, for, from the Conservatives when it comes to looking after our women and men in the Canadian Armed Forces. We know that we have a lot more work to do and we will get it done. It's Thursday, June 17th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us today. Morning, Mark. So, Annamie Paul is basically facing an ultimatum from her own party. Um, let's talk about how we got to this point and the decision that Paul now faces what it, and what it means for the future of the Green Party. What are your thoughts? Well, it is, uh, we were talking off air about it being Shakespearean, and it is kind of Shakespearean. You know, Annamie Paul got elected with the support of less than half of the Green membership. And in any leadership battle, there's always going to be bad blood from the losers. But a serious party would then pull together and realize for the greater good, we have to uh, we have to be as one. And that has not happened in this case. I mean, the, the dysfunction seems to be riven throughout the party. It was always going to be hard for her when Elizabeth May, the former leader, was still not only in the wings or in the background, but May's in the House of Commons and, and Annamie Paul is not. And, you know, it would have seemed to, seemed to me to be a more logical solution for the Green Party that if May did not, didn't want to be the leader anymore, that she then stepped down in her seat in uh, Saanich Gulf Island, where she's won comfortably in the last three elections, and let Paul run there. And instead, Paul has been running in Toronto, Toronto Centre, which is a, a, a liberal bastion. So clearly, there are, there are, are problems from the out, from the off. But it does seem that uh, Annamie Paul's style, which she presents herself as being tough and uncompromising, has been has ruffled feathers with with May and Paul Manlin, the other MP, and with Jenna Catwin, who uh, was the third Green MP until she crossed the floor and joined the, the Liberals. Um, Israel was the immediate casus belli, and, and Israel for left-wing parties is always a, a nightmare. I mean, the, the NDP is, is riven by uh, the Middle East as, as the Green Party. But in all of that, I mean, this you know, the, at the moment in the public's mind, climate change is foremost, and the Green Party should be riding high. And yet it looks like they are not going to be a factor if we have an election in the fall. Um, you know, this time before the last election... Elizabeth May was north of 10% and, and seemed to be potentially about to overtake the NDP. Uh, we're in no danger of, of uh, that happening at the moment. Do you think Paul can survive until the next election as leader? I think she can do, just, but perhaps if only because of the proximity of an election. I mean, for the, for the, for the party to have to go through another traumatic uh, leadership battle would seem 
to be nonsensical right now. There probably isn't even time. So, yeah, I think if she wants to write it out, she can write it out. And if uh, if there, uh, there is any kind of uh, sense of ambition in this party, that it's not just a protest movement, then the party will get behind her and go into an election united. But I think from the, from the public's point of view, looking at this, you know, they're seeing a leader who can't keep a party of three MPs together. Even after one of them has crossed the floor, there's still internal bickering about uh, and, and people trying to get rid of the leader. It's not a vote of confidence. And I think we're starting to see that in the polls where where the, the, the green support, which had been about up about eight, nine percent sometimes, is now falling to five, six percent and maybe even far, further from that. All right, let's turn to a motion that passed in the House of Commons yesterday, 281 to 2, with all of the parties supporting it, a motion from the Bloc Québécois leader, Yves-François Blanchet, that uh, basically recognizes and acknowledges Quebec's right to unilaterally change the Constitution with its proposed reforms to uh, the provincial language law. Um, a lot of people have observed that this this appears to be for for many federal parliamentarians uh, less a matter of principle and and more a matter of the the number of votes there are in Quebec. What are your, what are your observations about this? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's all about for the Liberals. It's all about project majority, and we've got the the son of uh, Pierre Trudeau, who obviously vehemently objected to the idea of a distinct society. Uh, going along with this idea. I mean, the, the Prime Minister has said, this is essentially said this is a symbolic gesture and does not have any substance when it comes to the Constitution or the Charter. And yet, you know, the notwithstanding clause is, is invoked and suddenly we see Ontario invoking the same the same clause. So, you know, I, it's hard for me to see how 281 parliamentarians can see this as merely symbolic including uh, Anthony Housefather, who's a Liberal MP in Mount Royal in, in uh, Montreal, a large Anglophone community. He says that the passage of this motion does not amount to an agreement by the House to a constitutional amendment, which, to me, I think that's what they've just voted for. So it's, uh, it's a, a strange one. Um, I think that they, they, um, we'll probably look back in it and we'll find out that it wasn't just a symbolic gesture and that Quebec fully intends to use the leverage that it uh, that it gets from Bill 96, not only from Bill 96, but also from the affirmation by the House of Commons, which this would appear to be, uh, and it will use that uh, as leverage in court cases when it comes to uh, divisions of powers disputes. You know, the argument was that really this is just about um, Quebecers looking to uh, to see their language flourish within Canada. To me, it, it it's more than that, and it should require uh, more provincial consent, maybe even the Senate's consent. That's what the Constitution says. But it does now appear as if it's got the House of Commons' consent, which, frankly, is bewildering. The Conservatives are continuing to call for the resignation or the firing of Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan over his handling of the sexual misconduct crisis in the Canadian Armed Forces. Do you think that's warranted, and also do you think it's likely to happen? Well, we're looking at the, the House of Commons Defence Committee. I mean, it wouldn't be June if there wasn't filibustering going on, and it looks like that committee's report into this whole affair will not see the light of day because, before Parliament rises because the Liberals are filibustering. Um, as far as the Conservatives, I mean, you say the Conservatives are continuing to uh, 
call for Sweden's head. In fact, they didn't call for his head initially. They called for the head of Katie Telford, the, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, which seemed to me to be crazy. I mean, I think that the official opposition has got it wrong on so many occasions in the last six months to a year that, uh, that again, I find them bewildered by, by some of their moves. You know, this issue comes up. You've got a defence minister who was a subordinate to, to Jonathan Vance, the Chief of uh, Defence Staff, when they both served in Afghanistan. Vance supported uh, the government's position when it came to the removal of Mark Norman, who was his his deputy. And then the, this whole affair comes to light and Sajan's informed about it by the Ombudsman and essentially hands it on, even though he has the power under the National Defence Act to investigate it himself. You know, it seemed to me that the buck stops there, and that's where the Conservatives should have been aiming all along. And I do think that, you know, I, I don't make a habit of calling for the heads of ministers because... Uh, you've got to do something pretty egregious to uh, to warrant that. But in this case, the, the concept of ministerial responsibility suggests that uh, Sagan, who has been the defence minister since 2015, he came in after the Deschamps report, made a whole series of recommendations about how this culture should be improved, and yet did very little about it. Then his own chief of the defence staff is accused of it, and he, and he essentially hands the matter on to the Privy Council office. All of that suggests that he is culpable, he is accountable, and he should go. And it um, amazes me that the, the Conservatives didn't reach that conclusion back when this was a, a hot issue and they could have been bringing it up every day in the House of Commons. Instead, they chased it, went after the head of the uh, uh, the chief of the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, and it went nowhere, predictably. Mm. All right, just quickly, John, as we wrap up, um, as conditions seem to be continuing to improve uh, around the pandemic, uh, more Canadians are getting vaccinated, the infection rates are going down. Uh, there are lots of questions about whether travel restrictions will be eased. Uh, what are you hearing? Well, the trans- Transport Minister Omar Al-Habra was out yesterday saying the government's plans for phased reopening of the border will be announced in the coming days. Now, we know already that um, they're thinking of easing the quarantine regulations for fully vaccinated Canadians. I think, from what I'm hearing, that will soon, very soon be followed by uh, a similar move for fully vaccinated Americans. And they'll do it, in, again, they'll do it in phases, and the Europeans will probably follow not far behind. Pressure is building on the government. We're seeing um, US uh, Congressman Chuck Schumer is holding an event today with uh, the, the Canadian tourism industry and, and Liberal MP Nate Erskine-Smith. So there are calls coming from all quarters to, to get this border open. And I think it may not happen on June 22nd, uh, 21st, which is when the current arrangement runs out. But I think very soon into July, we're going to start seeing not only Canadians coming back into the country if they're fully vaccinated without being quarantined, but also Americans. All right. Great stuff, John. Thank you very much for joining us today. Have a great day. And you, Mark. Thank you. That's National Post columnist John Iveson. I will say that I am going to be speaking to the people uh, who are most directly involved. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues it's not easy being green. The Sun writes... The Green Party is showing a remarkable ability to self-immolate. Exhibit A is MP Jenica Atwin. 
Voters are the ultimate judges of turncoats, and they'll decide her fate. Annamie Paul was a breath of fresh air when she won the leadership, but still needs to win a seat in the House of Commons. And Elizabeth May brought the Greens from obscurity to three seats, but it's time for her to go. Her continued presence is undermining Paul's ability to run the party. In an editorial, the Montreal Gazette argues the bill to modernize the Official Languages Act would leave English-speaking Quebecers as a second-class linguistic minority. The Gazette writes, This legislation departs from the symmetry between French and English that has been a fundamental principle of Canada's official language policy. A case in point, there would be a right to work in French and to be served in French with respect to businesses under federal jurisdiction, without any reciprocal right concerning English. This lack of symmetry is embedded throughout the bill. All in all, the legislation is anything but reassuring. In the Toronto Star, Sean Strickland argues, Line 5 should stay open because thousands of workers depend on it. Strickland writes, For months now, the issue of the cancellation of the easement on Line 5 has been in the headlines. But if you look beyond the headlines, this issue has been dinner table conversation for thousands of workers whose livelihoods are threatened by the pipeline being interrupted. Misinformed claims that shutting down Line 5 won't affect jobs are reckless, irresponsible, and out of touch with workers who, by the way, help pay the salary of many of the Line 5 critics. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting. He will also speak with the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador before hosting a call with provincial and territorial premiers. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will virtually attend the Cabinet meeting and question period before meeting with members of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will be in Quebec City. His stops will include a visit to the Davy Shipyard and a meeting with the mayor of Quebec City. Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan will take part virtually in a panel discussion as part of the GlobeSec 2021 Bratislava Forum. He will also attend an infrastructure announcement in Canal, British Columbia. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at an event hosted by the Estevan, Musoman, and Weyburn Chambers of Commerce. He will also hold a news conference on the Conservative Opposition Day motion. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will announce an investment to support domestic manufacturing of personal protective equipment. And Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will make an announcement in St. Catharines, Ontario, about funding allocated through the Canada Healthy Communities Initiative. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, June 17th. Tune into Primetime Politics every evening on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.